Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hello, greetings church, it's good to see you guys. Uh, If I have not met you, my name is Kimberly. My uh, husband and I are associate pastors at the church. We get to serve underneath Pastor Dave and Kim. We have our lead pastor, Pastor Kim Wilson, on the front row here. Uh, Also, Pastor Grandma, Pastor Mother-in-Law, all the things. Um, I'm a pastor. My children are very well-behaved and orderly and just sit in chairs and worship Jesus. No, they don't do that, Um, but I love them nonetheless. Anyways, it's great to be uh, with you guys. Our lead pastor, Pastor Dave, is in Revelstoke, at a Revelstoke location. Josiah is having a good time, no doubt, in Vernon, so... Uh, think about them in your prayers today as well. We are, we are here in Kelowna, but we're not doing this alone just because we're in one place. So it's good to be here. Um, today we are continuing uh, a series titled David and Saul. We are looking at uh, their relationship in the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's quite an interesting relationship, and we're looking at the um, sort of divine lessons that we can learn from them and apply to our own lives. So I highly suggest reading the whole book of Samuel in the Bible if you really want to dig deep and get greater context to what we're talking about. But I did not expect you to read the book of Samuel before service today. So in order to make sure we're all up to date in this moment, we'll devote just a couple minutes to backstory. Uh, Now, true confessions, I've been in church for a very long time, and when someone at the front says the word backstory, it's an immediate trigger for me to zone out. I usually start planning lunch at that point. Backstories do not keep my attention. Um, So because of my own confessed weaknesses, I'm a little insecure. You might zone out as well, too. Um, So I would like if, yeah, this is about to happen. I need two volunteers. Uh, to assist me um, as I give the backstory real quick. Now, you don't have to talk. You won't have any weird substances. You don't have to eat anything. I just need you up here just to support me and do exactly as I say when you're up here. Uh, so does anyone want to volunteer before I voluntold you guys? And I really don't want to voluntold anyone because it makes for really awkward conversations later in the week. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I need one more. I need one more. And yes, I am related to people in the audience, so this could actually be difficult on my personal relationship. So if you want, thank you. What that word there was called uh, preacher manipulation. I don't think it's biblical, so I don't actually condone that, but I did it. So thank you guys. All right, so this is what's going to happen. Um, who's feeling Solly today and who's feeling Davidy today? You're feeling Solly? Okay. So you're going to be Saul, and you're going to be David. And as I just, like, hound out the, the main points we need to know about the relationship, can you guys just act it out? Yeah. Is that... I'm just going to... Um, so yeah, if preferably no like actual like physical contact when it comes to violence, but um, I'm just going to read through these. It's going to be like a minute and a half, and you guys just do your best just to display to the people of God the profound nature of this story. Okay? Okay, good. Excellent. All right. So king of Israel, there is this man named Saul. Unfortunately, although his heart was for God at the beginning, Saul had quite an issue with trusting God and disobeyed him quite a few times. Um, I think Saul was actually a fearful person. And it was hard for him to wait for God 
to just do what he was saying to do without taking things in his own hands. So it was hard for Saul not to think his plan or his ways were better than God's ways. So as a result, scripture says God's spirit left Saul and God was going to choose another king. And this future king was the unlikely choice of David. Now, Israel had a main prophet uh, who would indicate God's will. This guy was Samuel. We have no Samuel up here because I honestly didn't think I could get more than two people up here. Um, And much to Samuel's surprise, David was a young musical shepherd boy. Now, yes. Scholars aren't totally sure about what age this happened, somewhere between 8 and 15. So we're going to go with 11. You're 11 years old. So David stood there among his brothers, and Samuel the prophet took a flask of oil he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. So good luck with that. Yes. Pause. So just for a moment. 11-year-old David gets anointed as the next king of Israel. Scripture says God's spirit came upon him. And then, like, there's this weird part where I don't know what happens. I think you just go back and take care of your sheep again. Like, I cannot imagine living through the situation where this big, exciting moment happens where you're anointed, here's your future, and go do boring stuff again. Like, let's just make sure we don't forget that. All right, continuing. Um, so David continues his life as a shepherd boy. He, shepherd boy. he keeps developing music out in the fields. Um, so time goes by, but Saul has got this evil spirit tormenting him and needless to say, he's not doing well. So someone suggests that David come play music for Saul and bring comfort to him. So he does. Thank you. And Saul really likes David. He really, really does. Scripture says whenever, um, whenever Saul was tormented, David would take up his lyre and he would play and the relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. In fact, I think I better not look at what's happening. We're just going to... In fact, Saul came to like David so much, he asked David's dad if David could just live with Saul, which is a huge honor, and David became Saul's armor bearer. And then there's this little episode called David and Goliath. Uh, Once again, Israel finds himself faced by an intimidating enemy, and Saul, you're obviously afraid, again, because you're not going out there to fight Goliath, but young David takes on Goliath, who's that speaker, I'm not sure. He defeats Goliath, and he is an instant hero. He is an instant celebrity. Give him a round of applause. And although Saul, Saul was initially pumped at David's victory, good job, dude, some of the women wrote a song about David that went like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So David officially has groupies. Might be the first one. I'm not sure. Understandably, this emphasizes all of Saul's insecurities and something switched in Saul regarding his attitude and he becomes extremely jealous. David was now a threat to Saul. Which brings us to our moment today. Give them a round of applause, please. So that is where we are. It was actually a very serious story that I hope David and Saul can forgive me one day if I do meet them. Um, But that is where we are now in scripture. So after I put this mic down and open this water bottle, we will read it together. Have any of you been here when Josiah does this? Just like walk around and be like, I'm not awkward, are you awkward? (laughs) I get it now. Okay. First Samuel 18:10. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. 
And he was walking around, even prophesying his house while David was playing the lyre, as David usually did when Saul was stressed out. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'm going to pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away, but in everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. So the title for my message today is My Way or the Highway. Yeah, that's a pun. I turned 35, I now use more puns in my messages. My way or the highway. I'm just gonna read two scriptures before we continue. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. And Isaiah 55, eight through nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than your earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Praise you, Jesus. Would you just join me, join me for a moment as I pray? God, once again, I thank you for the privilege just to get together with your people and to talk about you, to learn about you, to discuss you, to sing with you, to, to share life with your people. And I just ask God that Above all else, your presence would remain here with us. God, would each person who is um, sitting here in the next 10 or 15 minutes or so, would each person hear from you in a different and a profound way just as you want them to hear? Would each of us have a greater revelation of your heart and your love for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So have you ever been in a situation where someone has clearly done you wrong and you feel like you have every right to make things just for yourself? Or have you ever uh, trusted someone or loved someone or served them or maybe even like David ministered to someone, perhaps a leader, and they betrayed you? These are some of the most difficult situations we face. And I think we have all felt the desire to pay back someone who has hurt us. I think at minimum, we've gone over scenarios in our minds where we pay, pay back someone in a way that we feel like is deserving of how they wronged us. I am proud to say that I have the most amazing husband. He is loyal to a fault, been faithful to me forever. But I have, admittedly, in the past, thought about what I would do if he ever were to say, be unfaithful to me. And it's not pleasant, guys. It's not pleasant. There is a desire in all of us to bring justice into our own worlds. And I think when these painful moments happen, whether they are big or small, one of the things that makes it so painful when we are wronged is that we lose control of the narrative of our own lives. And we want it back. Right? There's a way things are supposed to play out, but this wasn't it. Right? I've, I've worked hard. I've been faithful to my employee. I was in line for the next promotion, but the new guy, that Gen Zer, you know, they got it after three weeks of working here. 
Or maybe you'll find out that after years of taking care of a parent, they never included you in the will. Or maybe a spiritual leader has let you down. Maybe a pastor or a mentor whom you loved and you trusted, maybe they betrayed you in some way. Or maybe your experience isn't big and dramatic, but maybe something smaller, but the pain is still very real. Right? You were wronged. This is not how you thought that this part of your story was going to play out. Now what do you do? What is your role in trying to make things right again? So we look back at the life of David, where we see a young man who was told he was going to be king. He was anointed as king. The spirit of God came upon him. And yet, for whatever reason, David never tried to expedite his way to the throne as soon as he possibly could, which would have been my approach. I was told at one point I was going to be in ministry, and I tried to make it happen. I applied to Bible schools and missions trips, and they kept getting canceled. And I was like, okay, I guess, I guess not. But it was like, okay, this is, this is God's will for my life. Clearly, I need to take control now and move forward. But no, this is not what David does. David, he, he is anointed as king. And then in the meantime, David ends up serving, supporting, honoring, and loving the current king of Israel, whom he is going to replace. And who, by the way, is not a great leader. Even before things go terribly wrong, Saul has some very glaring flaws. But David, he takes his giftings, his skills, his ministry, and he uses it to soothe Saul, to serve him. I mean, David is Saul's musical therapist, really. And for many, many years, Saul loved David right back. But then we have the whole David and Goliath scenario, which had God's power and sovereignty written all over it. Right? This was not something that God did out of God's will. So you have this David and Goliath scenario, and it triggered a level of insecurity and jealousy in Saul that he could not rein back in and of himself. We already know at that point that God's Holy Spirit had left Saul. We already know that uh, he was being tormented. But it's like this jealous moment that Saul let in. It was like the point of no return. But guess what? That wasn't David's fault. It wasn't because David stepped out of God's will. So then you, you have this time where Saul is stressed. He is fearful. He is, he is being tormented again. And so faithful David shows up to play, play music, to minister to Saul, to try and ease his pain and soothe his distress as he had always done before. But this time it, it doesn't work. <laughs> this time David's music does not have a positive effect. And Saul responds by attempting to murder David. David's heart was right. David's ministry hadn't changed, but Saul's had. Saul's heart had changed for the worst, and it resulted in a deliberate act of violence. Now, we know the spear missed. Thank God. We're not exactly sure why the spear missed. Maybe Saul was so worked up, his aim was bad. My theory is that David was the youngest out of many children, and I just think youngest children are good at dodging things, personally. I've seen it evidenced in my husband, so I don't know. Or maybe God supernaturally guided the spear. I'm not really sure, but the spear missed. Saul threw it and missed David, and it fell to the floor. Now, in that moment, if you superimpose yourself into that situation... 
what would you do if you were David? When you have this moment where you realize that this person that you've served and loved and poured your time and life into, and not just like physical time and physical service, but the vulnerability, the emotions, what would you do when this person who you have been honoring, when you just realize that they just failed to kill you? Like they, they just tried to kill me. And remember for David specifically, he just killed like a 10 foot giant, said he was a very skilled warrior, like, I think his confidence in picking that spear back up and hucking it back at him, I think he would have been fine. I think that's the reasonable thing to do. Hello, self-defense clause, thank you. Plus, if it were me, I'm like, okay, well, the spirit of God has clearly left Saul anyways. God has said I'm going to be on the throne anyways. Like, if David... And isn't is getting even, isn't he just sort of like expediting God's plan anyways? God, you and I have the same plan here. Be king, good. So why didn't David just take matters into his own hands? Why did he simply choose to escape when he could have taken advantage of the opportunity to become king right then and there? But I believe it's because of this. If David had taken his destiny into his own hands, he would have forfeited the destiny that God still had for him. Saul, he was the king who once loved David, the man whom David served. He tries to kill him twice, but David does him no harm. David escaped, he didn't stay in the room and was like, keep throwing things at me. But David didn't seem interested in enacting out personal justice. Right? He decided not to take the narrative of his life into his own hands, even though he could have. Right? Because if David had taken the spear, if he had thrown it at Saul, David still would have become king. But he would have become king according to his way. He, he wouldn't have become a king according to God's higher way. In other words, he would have become a king of Israel, but he wouldn't have become the greatest king of Israel. If David had taken his destiny into his own hands, he would have forfeited, he would have surrendered the God-given destiny that was available to him. But he didn't do that. He left it to God to determine how things would play out. He decided to leave the situation in God's hands and keep doing it God's way and let things play out according to God's timing. There is one Bible commentator I read, uh, and he said it like this. He said, it's as if David is saying, Lord, you put Saul on the throne. I know I'm supposed to be the next king because you gave me a promise and your anointing. But getting Saul of the way is your business. I won't touch him because he is an authority appointed by you. You started this reign. You have to end it. Right? David didn't choose his own way, but he chose a higher way, God's way. He decided not to defend himself, but let God be his defender. And each of us are faced with this choice all the time, continually. Am I going to do things my way? Or am I going to take a higher way? Right? My way or the highway? And when we are wronged and betrayed, when it feels like someone is clearly trying to sabotage our future, 
what are we going to do? Are we going to take things into our own hands? Are we going to get even, enact, enact revenge, hurt them in a way that totally makes sense, in a way that people are probably advising us to do? When we are wronged, when it feels like our future has been thwarted, will we decide that it's up to us to make our destiny happen? Because if we do, then we now have to rely wholly on our human efforts to get us there. <laughs> or will we leave our destiny in God's hands, therefore relying on his supernatural power and his wisdom and his provision to get us there? My way or the highway? Now, the passage that we looked at earlier said that while Saul was still king, still king, and everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. This is before David becomes king. And I think that is a beautiful example of God being faithful to David as David chose to stay within God's will and God's timing. But we also know that while David was experiencing the success on the battlefield or these different areas, his relationship with Saul didn't get any better. It remained rocky. Saul tried to kill him many, many times. Like that's things, it weren't good, it wasn't good, no. And each time, each time David had opportunities to take Saul out, each time people suggested he do it. And in doing so, it would have seemed right, it would have seemed fair, but David always left that in God's hands. And eventually, David did ascend to the throne. But his ascension to the throne was a result of divine favor, not a result of human control or human effort or human strategy. And David had divine favor because he trusted God with his future and his destiny to be king. And although David had his fair share of significant shortcomings, which I'm sure we will all learn if we haven't already, even though David was not perfect, he was still the greatest king, to this day, the greatest king of Israel. Now, in many ways, when I was studying the story of David and Saul, it was just like such a beautiful preview of the perfect example Jesus would then later on set for us. Our amazing leader, Jesus. David, we can see by his story that he had a lot of endurance, a lot of patience, a lot of forgiveness. But Jesus also lived out an even more perfect patience and endurance. Jesus endured a lot of talk, a lot of attacks, verbal and physical. And Jesus also ascended a throne. But not the way that was logical or seemed reasonable or anyone would think was right or fair. And then, of course, Jesus had the audacity to tell his fathers to endure the same thing. He said, he said to his followers, he said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. And I think we can all agree this stuff isn't easy. Okay, two weeks ago, my daughter uh, was told two, two days in a row at school uh, by another boy that she was ugly. And the like automatic voice was like, punch him in the face. No, don't do that. Like this was, but this was, you know, actually, you know what? That wasn't my automatic advice. That was my husband's, but. <laughs> Be like, justice, you don't deserve that. Rah! But we actually 
we didn't tell her to punch him in the face. Now, we didn't say she needs to put up with him saying this to her, but we went about a way that we felt like it was a higher way, that we felt like was a God-given way. And um, for the record, this uh, child, who for a brief period of time was my main enemy in life, seven-year-olds, like, oh, the source of all my rage. Turns out this child had a lot more going for him than Saul did. <laughs> And there was reconciliation and forgiveness that had taken place in quite an impressive way, I might add. Which probably would not have happened if my daughter had punched him in the face, just for the record. This is a tiny little example because I think our days are full of tiny little examples that are a reflection of bigger examples. Right? But each of us, each of us here, each of us have a call of God in our life. I know that's a churchy phrase, and I'm sorry. But each one of you has a divine destiny, a purpose of eternal value. And if we are going to fulfill that call of God, it is going to require some ridiculous and unreasonable amounts of trust in God and his way of doing things. Right? It's going to require us to continually ask the question, am I going to do this my way or am I going to do this a higher way? And when we are wronged by friends or spouses or leaders, we will have many choices to enact personal justice, maybe sometimes vengeance, maybe passively, maybe not so passively. But the higher way is always to leave that retribution, that personal justice, that bitterness, it is always to leave it with him. And when we do that, that'll keep us in his divine way. That'll keep us in his divine way. And oh my goodness, unfortunately, his divine way doesn't always feel like the fastest way to our destiny. I was reading um, in my studies last week that David was anointed to be king around 11 to 15. He became king at 30. We have an amazing team member, Jeremy Becker, our, our, uh, our favorite Gen Zer. And when I read that, I said, oh, this is not gonna sit well with the millennials. He's like, it's going to be even worse with us. I'm like, I know. I know. Sometimes going God's way can feel painfully slow. And I find that it's in those slow moments that our actions are usually questioned by others. Like, why are you doing that this way? Why don't you take things into your own hand? Take control of your future. Just get her back. She deserves it. You did nothing wrong. But when we stay in his divine way, that's when the divine stuff takes place. That's when the unexplainable God stuff happens. So church, let's not take the fulfillment of our each individual and even our corporate destinies into our own hands. Let's not take it into our own hands and therefore forfeit the destiny that God has for us. Right? We, we have got to get to a new level of trusting God, of defaulting to his own ways, and letting his plan for our lives play out the way that he wants it to. Maybe I'll invite um, Scott up and his invisible band. Would you guys stand with me for a moment, please? There's that scripture right at the beginning, Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, 
Are my thoughts higher than your thoughts? I feel like as a speaker who gets the honor of sharing today, I'd be amiss not to give an opportunity to give a little bit of that control back to our good God this morning that we may have taken back. Some of us have been grasping so tightly to control of our futures, of making our future happen, our destiny happen. We are so afraid of who might rob us of it. We're so afraid a leader might lead us astray, a person might abandon us. But I've got some really good news. It doesn't actually matter what the people in your life do. It cannot supersede God's will for your life. Saul was not helping David become king. But David was still going to become king. And David was able to keep serving Saul because ultimately David wasn't serving Saul. He was serving God. And I'm telling you, as long as the number one person you are serving is God, as you honor and forgive and serve and minister to your other leaders, to other people in your life, as you stay in God's divine way, he will get you to his divine purposes for you. I just feel, um, I'm not gonna like individually get all whatever. I don't, that makes no sense to you. I feel, I just wanna take a moment. If anyone wants to come forward, this won't be, um, this part won't be live streamed. But I just wanna take a moment for anyone who has been, um, has felt the deep betrayal or wound from a spiritual leader. There's been a lot of really disappointing moments in the last couple of years with church leadership. I don't know who you follow or know or don't know. There was one person in particular that quote fell from grace, whatever that means. And it took me a couple days to get over it. And I think what happens is especially when people who are supposed to be following God and are in leadership over our lives, people who we have trust, people who we have given our time to, when they betray us or hurt us or let us down, it's really, really easy to put a wall back up that keeps out a lot of other good things from getting back in. There are spiritual leaders that will let you down. There's a lot who won't though. And God even used David to get Saul to his destiny. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.